We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, my IB Nation peeps? It's a Friday! Woo! It means it's a Friday free-for-all mailbag, folks. And I'm here, and Ryan's here, and Brian's here, and we're ready to rock this thing, man. I was made sure I got a good night's sleep, so I'm ready for the long haul of the mailbag, and then I get to double dip and do some rapid fire tonight as well. So I'm, I'm fired up, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Living the dream, Vince. Living the dream as always, sir. Um, um, when I when I saw that you were in with us today, I was very excited, man. Very I excited. am. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm actually having a little bit of a tea problem this morning, so I, I ran out of my. None of my Notre Dame mugs are clean, so my wife put the tea in this best uncle ever oh, mug, and okay. so then she's like, "Well, you can just pour it into your IB mug and drink it that way, and it'll keep it warm." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a great idea," because my wife's really smart. Little did I realize, this thing takes freaking. It took me a whole thirty seconds. For me to fill that little mug, that 15 ounce mug up with that tea. It doesn't pour real fast. But other than that, I'm doing great. I'm ready to rock and roll with some questions, man. So yeah, baby. Yeah, I was like, it was like super loud. And I was like, okay, God, I hope this finishes before the show was <laughs> before the show starts. Ooh. It didn't. I like but this yes. from Zach Martin, the Friday three for all mailbag. Nice. Well done, Uno Zach. Dose trace. I like well it. Well done. Well done. Let's go ahead and get started, boys. We got some super chats. Let's get rocking and rolling with. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So our first super chat from Rob. Thank you so much. Guys, you as the OC... Knowing Sam Hartman is gone this year and you will have a young, inexperienced quarterback starting next year, what can you do this year to get him ready for next season? 
Ryan and I, you and I have talked about this a lot, Ryan. And this is one of those things that the first of all, the biggest thing is, and Sean Davis and I have talked about it. Vince, you and I have talked about mm-hmm. it. The thing that a lot of fans will focus on is, you know, get him as many reps and games as possible. And that's true. You know, any chance you have to get him into the game and, you know, maybe if you're up big against Tennessee State in the third quarter, maybe get your who you think that guy will be a, a second, you know, of some first team snaps. You know, maybe late in the third quarter, early fourth, you know, with your first team offense before you yank everybody else. And there's all types of things you can do like that. But at the end of the day, the biggest development is going to happen Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about making sure that he is really locked in in the film room, making sure that he's locked in in practice, getting him his 40 percent of reps, especially as you get deeper in the season. Like you may need to give Sam Hartman closer to 70 in fall camp and you know, maybe early in the season as he continues to just need to get on the same page with the receivers. But once you feel like, OK, Sam's got it figured out timing wise and he's got it all. Then you may be jumping up to a true 60, 40, because Vince, you and I both know, Ryan, you know this. They, we always say it's 60, 40 at the end of the day. You're going to run three, four, five extra plays that you need to do over with your first team. And then your second Mm -hmm. team, you're just, okay, get your script done and then let's move on to the next one. Right. So that can be a bad habit the coaches have, but it's really going to come down to the development in the film room. It's going to come down to mental reps, you know, and, and really getting your backup quarterback in the, in the frame of mind of you have to always be thinking of my moment is a snap away, whether it's during Tuesday practice or Friday walkthrough. That's got to be your mindset. And so when you're in the film room and I'm talking to Sam about a read, you might as well hear me using your name because you've got to hear that. You've got to read that. You've got to learn that. And it really just comes down to the mentality and then just getting as many reps as possible. Because at the end of the day, guys, if if you get, if you get let's just say it's Kenny Minchie's backup, right? And you get him in for the whole fourth quarter against Navy and Tennessee State and Central Mission guess what? That's not going to prepare him for the Ohio State game. It's just not, right? So it's about mentally getting him locked in to when that opportunity comes. He's not worried about his reads. He's not worried about his technique. He's just worried about playing ball as best you can. That's really the answer to getting those guys ready. There's no – we can talk all we want about getting them snaps and games. Those are not what get a guy ready to play. It's what you do in practice and in preparation and in the film room leading up to a Saturday. Well, I think a lot of that – oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's maximizing time. And I think the great thing that you have is with Gino Gadouli now on as your quarterback coach and just your quarterback coach, I think that that's a big asset. You know, like it's it's not an easy task for a guy to be the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach to be able to coach every one of these quarterbacks individually and also have to game plan each week, practice plans each week, make sure the offensive line is on the same page, make sure the wide receivers are on the same page, make sure the skill position is all good to go. Gino Gadulli is a big asset to this team heading into the 2023 season and beyond, hopefully, right? A guy that is just there to make sure the quarterback room is playing to the best of its ability. And of course, that starts with Sam Hartman. But to your point, Brian, it's also about developments. Like the most impressive thing so far that I've seen from Gino Gadulli is working with every one of the quarterbacks and also getting on the recruiting trail and evaluating quarterbacks, evaluating future potential fits at Notre Dame. Like, I think that this is a guy that has the ability to develop the quarterback position in a big way. And I think that you need to maximize your time and you have a guy that's time is allocated to the quarterbacks exclusively, which I think is a big thing to have. And I, I will also say that the evaluation period of these backup guys started in the spring. Like they are evaluating these guys from then all the way through the rest of the season to see if they can rely on one of those guys to be the be the guy in 24 or if they need to go to the portal for a starter or they go into the portal for depth you know what does what does that portal search look like if that's what they end up doing so this is like a really long job interview and yes a lot of it falls on the coaches there's no doubt about it cuz you want to get them snaps and practice we've complained forever that in the under the last regime, they never got you know a, the backup quarterback in to get some snaps with the ones in a right. game when it was out of hand, you know that and, kind of and, a thing. And it's needed. That has to happen. It, it's absolutely needed. right. But it's needed. A ton but of that falls on the kids themselves and how they prepare on a day to day basis. Right. A lot of it is going to fall on that because then it's do we trust Steve or Kenny to be the guy next year? Do we trust him from a preparation standpoint? From a physical standpoint, all of those different things. So 
it's almost a year-long evaluation process for these two and what it's going to look like moving forward and how Notre Dame is going to address the quarterback room, you know, moving forward, right? So it's going to be very interesting to see, to be honest with you. And and I'm hoping that we get an opportunity to talk to Gino Gadulli throughout the season, you know, at times, and we can kind of pick his brain a little bit because he's going to say all the right things, obviously. But at the same time, you can kind of read between the lines as to how he feels about that quarterback room moving forward. So I, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Uh, last thing, too, on this, guys, is I, I will say this. I have been at – we've been asked, well, do you need a new – a different quarterback's coach than you need a coordinator? And nine times out of ten, I'm like, no, you don't. If the guy is good at the job, he can do both. I, right. I'll be honest. This is one of the rare occasions because of the youth behind the starter, sure. to Ryan's point, that I'm actually glad that they have a quarterbacks-only guy there mm. because there's going to be times when Jared Parker's the one dealing with Sam Hartman. And sure. then Coach Gadouli can be over there dealing with the younger guys. So I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Very and important. I, I also think with a sixth-year guy at quarterback, as he gets like, – and you kind of touched on this, but I want to expound That's kind of what I'm referring to, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to – like, let's say we're six games in and, you know, there's no hint of injury, you know, the whole everybody's healthy. That's obviously a caveat to the conversation. But as a six-year guy and comfort level with the offense, like, you could even – give more reps to whoever the backups are because Sam Hartman doesn't necessarily need the physical reps all the time. And you don't necessarily want to put all the physical stuff on him because he's a six year guy. And because he's so important to what you want to do, then you can start giving some more reps and practice to some of those younger guys because Sam Hartman at this point, and I'm saying like halfway through and beyond the mental reps are fine for him. Like he knows what he needs to read out and all of those different things. So as long as he's feeling comfortable in the offense, I think you could even, even more than a 60, 40 situation and allow Sam to get more mental reps than necessarily physical reps. And then that also helps your younger guys as well. All right. Let's, um, let's go to this next question here real quick. Another super chat from Raymond. Thank you very much, Raymond. What's up, guys? Just wanted to give my support and say that I can't wait for some football to start. Go Irish. Raymond, I got to tell you, man, like my son comes home from football practice and I grill him about high school ball. Like I am ready to know what's going on with Notre Dame and watch some practice and get, you know, some actual football on the field, man. I am with you 100%. It's only like 50-something days away from the first college football game as well. So we're, we're inching, man. We're inching closer and closer. I know, right? I know. Tyler Evans with the Super Chat. Thank you very much, Tyler. How many presidents and administration goal is it to win a national championship? And how do you think they're just happy to have a coach that does it the right way by graduating his players and winning seven to nine wins is an amazing year brian what do you think about this i think it's both but i think their actions more support the latter i think if you were to ask anyone in charge at notre dame they would tell you oh we want to win championships we want to do with this we do that and to a degree they support i mean look they didn't spend billions of dollars on on facilities the last 10 years to be a seven win team every year but i also don't think they're necessarily willing to do all the things that it takes to win a championship. And and I don't mean the things that a lot of people say, oh, lower academic standards, pay players, you know, NIL for high school. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their commitment to the resources that we've talked about a million times, coaching salaries, all that kind of stuff. Right. That goes into to to this. So um, you know, yeah, I I uh I think that they desire the first, but their actions a lot of times speak that they're comfortable. Maybe this is a better way to say it. They want the first one they're comfortable with the second one as long as they can hold their noses up and and give this era of, well, you know, we don't do this and we don't do that. So um, I wouldn't say it's seven to nine. I think that's too yeah, low. If you, that's, if you win seven or eight a year, you're getting fired. Yes. I think it's absolutely. more like if you were to say nine to 10 wins a year, I think right. if Notre Dame was at worst nine and three, 10 and two most years, and then the occasional playoff run, yep. they get beat in the first round. I think the administration would be happy because they're and I don't a think lot of money. Coaches are getting fired there either. Like you I, know. Yeah, I think you just got to move that number up, and then I agree with you. I, that's the only thing I was going to interject is like that number's a little low. Seven wins ain't going to cut it at Notre Dame. I mean, let's seven eight wins is not going to cut it. So it have to be nine ten with the occasional eleven or more. Yeah. All right, Raymond with the super chat. 
Uh, let's see here. Just got my IB heavy t-shirt in the mail. Everyone should own one. Go Irish. Can't can't disagree with you there. Go Irish. Bayside Tiger 6 with the super chat. If Ryan sounds like Mel Kuyper Jr., then Brian Smith is Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> I can actually hear I, I can hear it a little bit. I can hear it a little bit now that I'm thinking about it. That's funny. That's funny. And I also don't sound like Mel Kuyper, so that's... Uh, yeah, oh, my God. You're the only point. person on the planet that doesn't think I don't sound like Mel Kuyper. That's because everybody sound like sounds Kuyper. like that over there where he's okay, at. I don't sound like Ta, 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 ta. I don't sound like Mel Kuyper. You, you literally just now <laughs> sounded like Mel Kuyper doing that. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was oh fantastic. All right, Jordan Schreiber has a question. Can you talk about what type of statistical year you think Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine will have this year? And do you think they'll be QB1 all year for their respective team? That's a loaded question, man. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I have, no, I have idea. no idea. I will say this. I think Drew Pine might actually have a solid little year, right? Like statistical, Jordan, I don't know exactly what the statistics are going to be. But Arizona State, I feel like, is one of those teams that – Kenny Dillingham coming in as their head coach, offensive-minded head coach, obviously. Did a really good job at Oregon last year. I think that he'll be able to get a decent amount out of out of Drew, but also I think that Arizona State's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Like, who's talking about Arizona State football right now? Like, barely anybody after That's how bad fair. they've been over the last couple of years. And they have a couple talented pass catchers. They have a kid named Jalen Conyers, a tight end that's very good. They have another tight end, Swinton, who's a really talented kid. He's like a 270-pound kid. Like it's, the reason you're focusing on the tight ends with, with uh, Pine at quarterback? Well, it just so happens, Vince, that he transferred <laughs> to a team that has two very good tight ends. So okay. I, 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 didn't make that, I didn't make that decision, man. But <laughs> I, I think Arizona State quietly has a couple decent little skill position players, though, and I think that they're all a little bit off the radar. So I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Pine this year threw like 23 touchdowns and solid completion percentage and wins a couple football games. Like I wouldn't be shocked because I think Arizona State's sneaking up on you. Now to the other part of it, Tyler Buckner, I have no idea, guys. I have no idea. I don't know what to expect from Tyler Buckner. He could start all year. He could start a couple games and somebody else could take over. Like I have no idea what to expect from Tyler Buckner this year. I have no prediction for that. I'm just kind of sitting back and watching. I don't know what to expect from that one. Well, from a Tyler Buckner standpoint, you know, I was listening to the interview last night that Sean did with the Alabama guy, and he was basically saying that, you know, Alabama's focus, Nick Saban's focus, is he wants to go back to a pro-style offense, right? I don't know that Tyler Buckner's my first pick as a quarterback for a pro, like a straight-up pro-style offense. Now, of course, you can have wrinkles and things like that. But we all know Tyler Buckner needs to have his legs as a key part of his game. And if it's going to be a straight-up pro-style offense with a focus on running the ball and all these different things, it's going to be interesting, man. I don't know that Tyler Buckner would be in the lead to win that job. So I don't know that his stats are going to be all that great. Now, I hope I'm wrong because I like Tyler. I want him to be successful. Uh, just not obviously against Notre Dame. So we'll see how that goes. It, it's so weird because I feel like all five of their quarterbacks are just such different players. Yes. Like none of them are similar in my opinion. Absolutely. Like Ty Simpson's kind of that cool, calm game manager type, right? You know, go through your reads, get the ball out. Tyler Buckner's obviously get involved in the quarterback run game. There needs to be more consistency as a passer. Jalen Milrose is a really dynamic athlete, but does he have any touch at all? I still haven't seen it yet. Then you have <laughs> the two incoming freshmen that, you know, Lonergan and 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 uh, the other kids name that I'm forgetting, the bigger kid. But, uh, I mean, all five of those guys are incredibly different. So I'm fascinated mm-hmm. to see how Alabama figures out the quarterback position this year because, yeah. to your point, Vince, I mean, like they're going to not – Tommy Reese is also going to have to stress, stretch himself a little bit in the sense of if there is a quarterback change at some point in the 2023 season – Offense is going to have to function a little bit differently. Now, right. obviously, I'm not, I'm not talking about like completely changing it, but like there's got to be some different wrinkles, right? Like you're not going to run the same stuff with Ty Simpson that you're going to run with Jalen Milrow, for instance, right? Or with but Tyler. Do you, but do you it's think, Ryan, they can? Do you think they can, though? However, run a similar offense with Milrow and Buckner. 
Yes. I think yeah, similar I think that would look yeah. So I think that would look yeah. a lot more similar, especially run game wise. I think that's yeah. the thing is if you're going from Buckner to Milrow or vice versa, yeah, your run game won't change a whole lot. I think your pass game will change yeah. with Milrow and, and Buckner. The, the problem is is that I mean, one, if we're just talking about the sustainability of that room, Jalen Milrow and Tyler Buckner are out the oldest guys in the room, right? So if one of those guys isn't the starting quarterback, it's also like do you are you able to keep them happy and keep them in yeah. the room for one? Like that's a big conversation. But to your point, Brian, yes, I would say that Milrow and Buckner are the most similar of the quarterbacks in that room, but I still think they're all just kind of different, man. Like mm-hmm. Simpson compared to Buckner is a completely different ballpark. Dylan Lonergan is completely different than both those guys. Like it's just a very different room, man. So it's going to be fascinating to see how Tommy Reese manages the quarterback room this year. Okay, this is wild. I'm dealing with this issue over here. <clears throat> Somebody sent me a screenshot of a tweet that I never sent. So I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. Really? It's about Jordan Brand. Yeah, I have no I, clue. I think so, Vince hacked your, hacked your, hacked your Yeah, Twitter. so I think Vince. somebody did. So I'm kind of dealing with that a little bit. That's weird. Somebody I was going to hack Brian's uh, Twitter account. I would not be tweeting anything about Jordan Brand. No. I can promise you that. No. That's one of those, <laughs> how do you know if you're in trouble? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. You know, you know why Twitter stinks so much is that to get your verification now, you need to pay for Twitter Blue. And also to get the double verification thing so that you can protect your account, you also need to have Twitter Blue. It's like everyone's just yeah. trying to be forced to have a Twitter Blue, which is yeah. just Hard terrible. Pass. Absolutely terrible. I'd yeah. rather just stop using Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like because right. like seriously, like if you if you look at it, if you if you look at the social media uh platforms that drive the most content to you our site and our shows twitter is by far at the bottom of really that list. oh yeah i didn't realize twitter that. users for whatever reason just don't want to do anything to leave twitter hmm. like that's the reality right yeah. so they don't click on like i'll put something out i'll put a story out and i'll get hundreds of likes and 20 clicks on the story it's like you're liking a story you didn't read like, <laughs> right, right. Why? But that's the world of Twitter. It's a weird place, man. It really is. But yeah, so that's uh, that's weird. So if you saw a tweet from me, because some guy, what happened was I got a DM from some guy and he goes, um, he goes, Driscoll, please say it's Jordan. And I was like, I have no idea. And I hope it's not Jordan. And then he screenshotted something that looks like it came from my account. Really? I don't know. Yeah. It looks like unless it's... Um, June, yeah, it's very weird. You should change very your password weird. just in case. Have you I did. I already took yeah. care of all yeah. that. That's Have what I was doing. Like, enough that there's like a parody count of Brian Driscoll? Well, that but like, here's the thing. The at is the same as mine. Oh, okay. Like, it's very strange. I don't know. Maybe it's so, Photoshop's. Could be Photoshop's. Yes, maybe. That could be it. Somebody's trying to pass himself off as me because they're a lot a, of that's they're a lot of they're effort. a loser that doesn't have a life <laughs> that's a lot of but effort to go you saw a tweet about notre dame to jordan brand coming from someone it is not from this dude i can assure you of that <laughs> you know how many phone calls i've made to try to figure out what apparel company notre dame is going with i don't care right like, they'll announce it when they're ready to announce it i have more important things to figure out with notre dame than what apparel company they're going to go with the next few years so yeah exactly if you see that kind of nonsense for me it ain't me i can assure you of that one <laughs> john a1 thanks john we, we know you're always here let's see here is tyson ford more of a cross train guy between three technique and big end well this Brian. spring he was more of a three technique mm-hmm. Vince I think in the practices we saw I I don't remember seeing him at the big end position at all so yeah he was always down in the three point like he was always on the inside I don't I don't I mean the last time I saw him I feel like he's too big to be a big end at this point now could he adjust his body to be a big end possibly if that was where his skill set lied but I think right now his his best spot is is three technique and he's yeah. only a so- he's a sophomore and he's already over 290 pounds. Right. Like, I don't think there's right. much going back from that. Like he's going to be 300 plus pounds pretty easily, pretty soon. Exactly. Later, so, yeah. yeah. And he's got a lot of baby fat on him. Mm-hmm. So like, he's going to be a kid that give him one more year in the weight room. And I think as long as he's willing to put in the work and the coaches are patient with him. Yeah. I think he's got a chance to still be a really good fight. I know that he didn't do anything as a freshman. So it's like, Oh, forget Tyson Ford. Don't horse. This is still a top hundred football player coming out of high school. I just think that transition and, and needing to learn how to play. And this is what we talked about with Brian Smith yesterday. And, and 
you know, Ryan, this is a, a big thing. I know you heard us talk about this. I'm curious to get your thoughts, but like, this is the kind of guy that's going to define what kind of position coach Al Washington ultimately is, you know, getting right. Riley Mills ready to play as a senior. And these guys is John Javante, John Baptiste is a six year guy that any okay coach should be able to mm-hmm. do that. You know, these guys right. are seniors. The question is, can you take the really young raw guys like Tyson Ford and Aiden Gobira and Josh Burnham and Bubakar Traore and Armel Mukum? That's the question. Can you develop those guys and turn them into dudes? And if he can, then you're going to be like, okay, because here's the deal, Ryan. If he proves he can do that, then I think fans are going to be more willing to embrace taking some of the, you know, projectable kids like 100%. like Logan Thomas and Sean Savoyano and some of those guys because, hey, look, Coach Washington has proven. It's like when Harry Heastan would take a three-star kid, people had a completely different reaction to it than when Dell Alexander took one, sure. right? Or or some other, you know, some other position groups. If Mike Mickens goes out there and gets Carson Hobbs, there's I'm not a huge fan of Carson Hobbs, but, like, there's people that will say, yeah, I agree with you, but Mike Mickens likes him. Right. And that's good enough for me. Why? Because he's proven that he can go develop those guys. And so if Coach Washington can do that, Ryan, not only is he going to be huge for the current team, but I think it changes some of the perception of him on the recruiting trail where people are going to look at some of these Logan Thomas types, these Cole Mullen types, these Bryce Young types, and get fired up because they're going to see the tools and be like, this guy can coach. Give me as many of those guys as possible. What are your thoughts, Ryan? Well, I, I think that you have no idea exactly how good of a coach Al Washington is right now, right? So I think that that was the troubling part of the 2023 class. It's not even just losing Keon Keeley and not getting Jason Moore. It was that, no, I don't think there's any question that Notre Dame signed four very talented defensive linemen in 2023. The question is, they're so far apart from a ceiling and floor perspective for the most part that do you have a good enough coach to get him to the ceiling? Like that's always been the question mark, right? Like it, we could look back in three years and be like, wow, man, Armel Mukum, Bubakar Traore, Brandon Vernon, and Devin Houston. That was a steal yeah. of a class. Yeah. Like we didn't even give that class nearly enough credit as far as the upside talent. Or we could look back and it'd be like, maybe only one or two of them contributed in any fashion right. at the university of Notre Dame. Like there's just not much in between, like in between ground. And I think that's, Based upon the coach, like if you had even just, I'll say it like this. Like if, if I think that you judge recruiting on, on what classes look like based upon how the coach that's going to be working with him is right. It's like, if you have a coach that you know, isn't a great developer of talent, who cares, right? Like who cares at the end of the day, it takes a bunch of upside kids. And I know we can't get the most out of it. That's not great. If it's a guy that has a reputation of developing, then like take upside picks every single year and we'll figure it out. If it's a guy that's, just an average coach, it's like, okay, like there's just some middle ground there. There's, an, I, I just don't know what to expect for Al Washington as a developer right now. And and that's going to be a thing too, Ryan, is look, there's this there's this double-edged sword of, well, you're not going to get the best players in the country until you start producing high NFL players. Well, you can't produce high NFL players if you're not getting the best players in the country unless you're someone who's really good at taking kids with a lot of raw tools and then developing them into, into being that player. Right. So it's easy to get Jalen Carter and turn Jalen Carter into a stud. It's a little harder to get Jordan Davis and get him motivated and to turn him to a stud because he didn't necessarily come in with the same reputation. You have to do more to get more out of him. Yeah. And I think those are the things that, that, okay, if you can develop that way, then you turn these guys into studs to your point, right? And now all of a sudden it's easier to go get the next Keon Keeley because you can be like, look, look, we, we took these kids that weren't even top 100 recruits and we turned them into, you know, to what we turned them into. I mean, that, those are things right. that are going to really go a long way towards Notre Dame finally getting those top players. And it is kind of funny, Ryan, that you mentioned that because when you look at the defensive line class, you know, w- the way way I rank classes is I rank them offense and defense. Mm-hmm. All right, Brennan Vernon, number eight, Armel Mukum, number 10, Bubakar Chori, number 11 out of 12 players in last year's class, defensive class. Yeah. Now, two things about that. Number one, that speaks volumes about how deep last year's class was on defense, right? Yes. Because I literally had every single kid graded out as a four-star or better player. But then you look at the upside grade, and those kids ranked first, Bubakar, Armel was two, Vernon was six. I mean, so now when you talk about upside, Armel and Bubakar are one, two. Now, I know Ryan had those reversed. He had Armel number one and Bubakar number two from an upside standpoint. And I don't think either of us are going to argue with the other one that, no, 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 it's this guy. They're both got really high ceilings, but you're not going to get there if you don't have a guy that's willing to invest the time to coach him up. And that's one of my questions slash concerns without Washington is, He's got to prove that, hey, I've got my starters here, but 
but I'm not right. just going to go put Tyson Ford on the scout team all year and ignore him until the spring. I'm going to still work with him. I'm still work with Bubakar. I'm still going to work with Armel to make sure that myself, the GAs, the other coaches, that we're investing in them to make sure we get the most out of them. Otherwise, yeah. they're just when their time comes, they're going to be behind, and you're gonna right. you're gonna have more of those. This one thing Mike Elson did is when he would lose a guy to the NFL, they just they just they didn't miss a beat. Got to give him credit right. for that because he one thing we praised him for is he he was not a guy that taught a lot of advanced technique, but he taught the entire depth chart really good fundamentals, good basics, Vince. And so you never had a young guy coming off the bench looking unprepared to play or a guy replacing a starter because he would teach the basics to everybody. So when their time came, they knew how to play football, and then their talent could take over. Coach Washington has to show us that he can do that. And if he can, sure, this defensive line is going to be very good for this for years to come because when you look at Bubakar and Armel and Brendan Vernon and Devin Houston and Logan Thomas and Cole Mullins and Bryce Dave Young, and to a degree, Sean Silviano – Talent won't be an issue for the Notre Dame defensive line for the next four or five years. It won't. Tyson Ford, Aiden Gobira, Josh Burnham, Junior Chalamaka. If your defensive line's not good, it's not a player problem. It's a coaching problem. And if out, but if out, but the flip side is, is if Al Washington does do a good job, then this defensive line is going to be really fun to watch because mm-hmm. the level of length and athleticism has taken such a jump in recent years that you you get start to get a little fired up about what what this team could be if if it's a big year they're coached right it's a big year yeah i mean it's a big year to find out where you know i don't i think the jury might still be out to a degree at the end of this year but this is a big year remember how we talked about last year was it last year was a big year or uh, or, i'm sorry the last year for quinn was a big year for him and we talked about that a lot in the offseason like okay this is going to be the year where we're going to find out if quinn is 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 a good coach or not because we got his guys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We got our answer. I think this is going to be a big year for Al Washington. I think we're going to get a lot of our questions answered on Al Washington this year from how he is as a coach. Yeah. Right? How does he coach up the guys that he has in his and, room? And then that builds momentum on recruiting, Absolutely. right, guys? I mean, if, he, if, if Riley Mills goes out there and balls out this year, Jordan Patelho balls out, and Javante Jean-Baptiste comes in and goes from a reserve guy at Ohio State right. that, you know, plays a little, you know, key rotate to, a, a you know, an eight, nine tackle for lost guy at Notre Dame. If Josh Burnham's coming in there, getting 10, 15 snaps a game, getting after the quarterback, all Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, all these guys come out in the D-line place with potential. Now Al Washington walks onto the recruiting trail, and I just kind of get this vision in my head. You remember that Vince McMahon gif where he's like just walking in like he's like, you know, Conor McGregor, you know what I mean? Like that's how Washington's hitting the recruiting trail next year. Mm-hmm. Right, he's got that kind of momentum going. So those things build on each other, dude. Do you see what I did with Jordan Bethelho? Do you see what I did with Riley Mills? I took Javante Jean Baptiste from Ohio State and turned him into this. Why would you go to Ohio State and play for them? Like, look what I did with a backup from there. You know what I mean? Like those things build on each other, and so I think that's also partly why Vince, this like you said, this year is huge for him. Yep. But it's not just huge for the development standpoint. It's also huge because the development then leads to Absolutely. I got a much better case to make on a recruiting trail. Because you know what helps Mike Mickens when he's going out and recruiting? This is Mike Mickens recruiting. Hey, so coach, why should I play for you? All right, I'll make this as quick as possible. Okay. Sauce Gardner, Benjamin Morrison, Kobe Bryant. You, you know what I mean? Like uh Cam Hart. Like that, that's his he's like, guys. I took it. I was part of a defense that had a uh, went to the Cotswold playoff, and I had an undrafted free agent and a guy that's now, at best, our fourth cornerback as my starters. Right, like now look what we're doing. That's sells. What made Harry Heastan such a great recruiter was his, was it his dogged determination on the recruiting trail? No, it was what what. Why should I come play for you, Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey? You know mm-hmm. what I mean. Okay, sure. You got me, coach. There you go. Yeah. Why did Keon Keeley pick Alabama over Notre Dame? People can say all they want. Oh, NIL, NIL. No, it was because Keon wants to be a top 10 NFL draft pick. Like, who has like, a, like they who, just had last year in Will Anderson, top right. number three overall. Like, right. Yeah, and he's right. not alone, right? Like, so uh, that's why those big time players make those decisions. So, if, if Coach Washington show, hey, I can develop you. Look what we did. I turned Isaiah Foskey in the second rounder. I got Riley Mills drafted. I got Jordan Patejo drafted. Man, imagine what I could do with you, Mr. Five-Star, Mr. Top 50 overall player. That would be big for Notre Dame. 
really, really big. So good, good questions. Uh, here's some good ones. I swear, Vince, I never see Connor Patton on a show unless it's you and me on the <laughs> show together. It's because Connor's That's your my guy. That's right, man. And he said uh, he gives a super chat, which you need to hold on. I mean, we appreciate it. But based on this super chat, you need to hold on to your money, buddy. And this is a guy talking from experience. Because <laughs> our new baby girl is happy and healthy, and her name is Quinn. Congratulations, my friend. That is awesome. Hey, Connor, is it, is it a- after Brady Quinn or Jeff Quinn? That's all I want to know. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan just trying to start some stuff today, man. <laughs> Right. Congratulations, hey, uh, Connor. It, or it could be, uh, wasn't Dr. Quinn the medicine woman? You know, it could be that too, right? So, Big Jane uh, Seymour fan over here. Connor, do me a favor. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. I, I, I got something for you I want to uh, go over with you real quick. So when you get a chance, buddy, hit me up on that. We're glad to hear that. Because it's been a busy couple years from Connor. They moved. Right? Yeah. Then they moved up to New Hampshire. Got a yep. new job. Now I got a new baby, man. Baby, man. So Oof. yeah, we're, uh, we're happy man. for you. And uh, praise God, the baby is nice and healthy. That is That's awesome. very, very, very New good. New Hampshire. It's beautiful up there. All yeah, it really is. I drove into it once when I was stuck in Boston. Like, didn't my flight got delayed, so I just took a drive up the coast, up north. It's really yeah. pretty. We we, uh, we climbed Mount Washington before, which is like the highest peak in the sea, eastern seaboard or something like that. It was nice, really nice. All right, Rob <laughs> has a question. Brian, if you could... What was your favorite loose emoji story that he told you? Oh my gosh. Oh man. There's, there's so many. I think the Jerry Faust stories are probably the funniest (laughs) because uh, Lou was not a real expressive guy, right? Like Lou was just kind of very monotone, Mm -hmm. but when he would talk about when he would do Jerry, he would actually do Jerry Faust kind of impressions and he loves Jerry Faust as a human being. Right. But he just, Mm -hmm. But uh, he's telling a story how there's two stories he told that I just thought were hilarious. And people have asked, you know, why, why wasn't Jerry Faust more successful? So one story was there. I think they played at Iowa, I believe. I could be wrong. Let me, let me just look at this real quick. And um, it, it could just be that Iowa pops in my head because of uh, – yeah, no, it wasn't Iowa. It was, so, it was so, I can't remember who it was, but it Iowa possibly because of the situation. So they walk into a locker room and it's this really weird color. And so he's like, why he says to one of these, like, why would they do this? And 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 the guy goes, Oh, it's a it's a mental thing, coach. You know, they're trying to get in our heads by making the lockers. And so so Jerry starts freaking out. Nobody look at the walls. Nobody look at the walls. Everybody stay locked in. <laughs> Nobody look at the walls. And then he was like, they were getting ready to play at Air Force and they're getting ready to walk out and they're doing some flyover. And he just starts going off about it's an intimidation tactic and they're not supposed to look into flyover. He just would like tell all these stories about how Jerry Faust was just like, like, what the heck is this guy talking about? And so like, he just didn't handle things well. And he would walk up and down the sidelines, just like saying Hail Marys. <laughs> like it was the craziest stuff. So Lou had a lot of great stories about that, but you want to start, you want to really enjoy Lou, get him talking about Lou Holtz. He had such a great respect and appreciation for Lou Holtz. He had some really good stories about him. Uh, but honestly, the, the best story Lou ever told me was his own. I mean, you know, you're talking about a kid whose parents were immigrants sitting in the office with him one day, he picks up the phone and we worked like in a, an office where we had like our, his and I's desks were like, we were back to back about, what about 15, 20 feet away, Vince, would you say our desk yeah. were? And all of a sudden Lou picks up the phone and he starts talking. Like I'm thinking, is this cat talking in tongues or something like that? Like what is going on? He's speaking Hungarian because his parents were Hungarian immigrants. So he still spoke Hungarian to his family and people, at the church hmm. and stuff. And, uh, you know, so he walks out, he's talking. So you get to hear a story, you know, his parents came over, I guess there's a big civil war going on in that country. His parents come over his uh, mom and dad, I think both worked at Notre Dame, but it was like working as a, I think a mom worked in the cafeteria, like stuff like that. They weren't like professors. They were, they were grinders mm-hmm. and how he just grew up loving Notre Dame. He kind of grew up on campus when he'd be with his mom. He had to do the whole, you know, the, the Rudy thing. He had to go to Holy cross at first and then got into Notre Dame and just hear his own story. You're like, man, this is like the American dream right here. Right? Like, you know, parents immigrated, uh, uh, from a tough situation to live the American dream and Lou grows up and gets to go to one of the most prestigious schools in America and becomes a legend in, in 
in that because I don't I don't think if you're really doing a true story of Notre Dame, it's also the people that cover it and made it popular. And Lou to me is a big part of that, you know. And so my favorite stories that he ever told me were ones about him, you know, just because he was such a good man and had a great story. And you you hear him explain where he came from, and you completely understand that humility that he had. Because Vince, you you've seen it, man. People will come up and start talking to Lou at a game. And he would just his face would turn. He was so embarrassed, like just like 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 why was this person want to talk to me? Like I'm nobody. Like dude, you're the goat, dude. Like no, you really are. And he just never understood that he didn't in his head. That's not how it was. Uh, he he would have old people uh, would they had a they had a phone in the office and Lou was the only person that ever answered it because it was the number they had for decades. And these older guys that are magazine would call and just Lou would talk to them. What the heck? Because they're not on message boards, they're not on Twitter, they're not on social media. They're only they would call Lou and he would talk to him. Just such a kind, decent person. And so those are my favorite stories are, are ones where he would kind of you could you could get him talking about himself because he wouldn't talk about himself very often. Right. Well, I want to interject here real quick, because uh, when you asked me to come over and you got me to come over to, to BGI and I knew that I was going to work nearby loose emoji, right? Uh, I was, cause I, I had been on the beat for a long time. Sean and I started doing stuff in 2004. And so this was a, a long time coming. And so it was a situation where Brian's like, okay, hey, come over to BGI, you know, have some fun, do some work. And there was one day after a practice and we're walking down the street, we're walking out of the practice facility towards the tennis courts on the sidewalk. And I'm walking with Brian and all of a sudden there's Lou. And Brian introduced me to Lou, and I was like tongue tied. Like I didn't know what to say because it's Lou Samoji. Like I, I'm in awe of this guy. Like he is the goat. I was like, I don't know what to say. And he's and he was the nicest human on the face of the planet. And you would have never known that he is who he is. Like you would have never known that he's Lou Samoji. And and you know Brian's introducing me, and I am not saying a single word. And Lou is acting like we've known each other for years. And I'm like. Emoji knew who I was. <laughs> like it was the craziest feeling in in the world, and he was always the nicest human being I've ever met. And then when Brian left, and I had to do shows with just Lou, I was so nervous. Like I was incredibly nervous. And he was asking me questions, and we were just talking like we'd known each other for years. And I mean, it was just an awesome experience, and it was such a small part of my life that I will never forget. Because he just treated me like I was his long lost best friend. And it was awesome. And so even though I was in complete awe of him on that first day that we met walking down the sidewalk to our cars when Brian brought me in, he was the nicest guy about it. Like it wasn't just this 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 kid who's gonna come help. It was, hey man, we're so happy to have you. Really excited to have you on board. I'm like, I don't know. He knows who he's talking to. It was it was crazy, but it made me feel really, really good that Loose yeah. Moji knew who I was. I can tell you that. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we got a super chat here from David. Thank you so much, David. It says, one of two. Question, what kind of improvements normally happen with a second-year coach? What improvements do you think Marcus Freeman will have this year? And then question number two. Do you think there will ever be another watch party with y'all? Well, number two, yeah, we'll do that again. There'll be some game, like probably Stanford game this year for sure is one that I can think of because yeah. we won't be there. 
Um, no, maybe maybe Navy because none of us will be at the Navy game. We'll see. Uh, I'm point. not sure how I want to do that one, but you know, yeah, we'll have some. We'll have some, and then we'll do some stuff on CFB Nation, maybe like you know, Championship Saturday, like we did last year. That was kind of fun. So we'll we'll do some stuff like that again this year. Um, that that'll be fun stuff. So uh, first part, I think, guys, the biggest thing for me, and I talked a little bit about this on the message board yesterday in that in that football chat. The biggest thing for me when it comes to year two improvements is in year two, a, a coach, especially a coach who'd never been a head coach before. You, you you realize how important it is and you start making the time to do the little things, right? Like year one, like Coach Freeman said this to me in the interview. I think I put it in one of the stories. He was like, look, I was just trying to figure out where to stand half the time, you know, last year. And he was kind of, kind of be hyperbolic, but he's also like true. Because like, no, it was, like, that was a legit days, thing. Because but what like, were we okay, all looking at? When, yeah. we, when he first took over before the Fiesta Bowl, what were all of us looking yeah. for during the practice, the open practice? Like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be hanging out with the defense. I wonder right. if he's going to be. Like, well, that he was, was so trying to figure thing. that stuff out, right? Yeah. And, and, and just trying to balance the time as the football coach with mm-hmm. the head football coach. And so what is the difference? The football coach is the football coach. The head football coach is the guy that has to go to put a suit on and go talk to people, right? Like, you know, bouncing those duties. How does he, you know, and then you can miss out on a lot of things. And I think that's something that led to the three and three. And this is something Coach Freeman has talked about is he learned so much in year one of just how to manage the job. And a lot of the little things took a back seat early. And so when he kind of said, okay, I'm taking this back over a little bit, we're going to get back to being on the same page here. You started to see a coach that was starting to pay more attention to those little things. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing in year two. And guys, those little things can be the difference between winning and losing against Marshall winning and losing against Ohio state, if nothing else changes. And, and so, you know, those, those are areas where I think this team will improve a lot. I think he's learned a lot about himself, what works, what doesn't work, what needs to change, what needs to just be enhanced a little bit, what needs to just be pulled back on a little bit. And they all lead to the same thing. It's the little things. And usually a coach that has learned a lesson after year one, you're going to see a team that's more fundamentally sound in a team that plays faster and more confident because the coaches are more confident. The cohesion between the staff is better as well. All those things factor in, but they're not things that factor in like this big noticeable difference where you could pinpoint here and here and here. It's just the little things, the mistakes take a back, take a dip and just a more confident football team. And then you also get a chance to kind of weed out some of the maybe folks that weren't completely bought into what you're trying to do. And and that makes you better as well. So all those things factor into it for me. Nailed it. I, I will say that he mentioned, uh, and we talked, Sean and I talked about this on our show. I uh, want to say Wednesday night. Uh, basically he, when, you know, I, and I think he told you that, I think this is where Sean got the quote. He, he told you this, Brian, uh, something along the lines of, you know, my first year, I was just worried about, you know, getting to the game and coaching the game and all that. And this year, it's about, you know, more developing the players, getting some of those guys on the field, but having a plan ahead of time to do that. Because once you get between the lines and you and, and the whistles and all of that, like you're coaching the game. So you have to be you have to have a plan on how to do that. You know, whether it's a series here or play there or whatever the case may be, you have to have a plan going in. And he overlooked that kind of stuff his first year because there was so many other things to worry about. And now that he's got some of the big picture things kind of under control, he can kind of focus on some of the smaller things like getting some of these younger guys, some reps when it matters and things like that. Not all, not wholesale changes, but like one guy in here, one guy in there. But again, it has to be planned and it has to be a charge to the assistant coaches to make sure that that happens. That's not Marcus Freeman's job in the middle of a game. Hey, make sure we get the second linebacker in, you know, here or whatever the case may be. That's the assistant coach's job, but they need to be told to do that by the head coach. So like those are all the little things that kind of get put into place as the years go on. Right. And the big picture stuff is year one, and then it kind of funnels down and gets more specific, I think. I, I experienced the exact same thing when I was a head coach. Like, you're kind of swimming through everything your first year, and then you kind of hit a stride. and Okay, oh, well, I can focus on this, and I can focus on this. And it's just the general maturation. Like, if you start a new job, right, Brian? I mean, 
first year, you're just kind of like, my first semester as the dean of students, are you kidding me? Like, it was drinking through a fire hose, man. Yeah. I didn't know what was happening. And it's kind of slow. It slows down. Yeah. You kind of figure it out. Same, thing, same thing launching this business, Vince. It's right. just one of those things where it's like, okay, I knew I had things to do other than just publish content. But then you realize, like, how much you have to do. And you're <laughs> right. like, good God, how am I going to get any stories out with yeah. all the stuff I have to do? Right. You know what I mean? Like, same thing. My people, so, you know, you, you've had one, you had one story out yesterday and you're telling me you went to bed at three o'clock. I'm like, yeah, you have no idea how much I have to do on a daily basis behind the right. scenes. It's, it's nutty. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, but you learn to manage it. You, you put people around you that can handle certain things and, and, uh, and you make sure that everybody's on the same page about what the expectations yep. are. And I think coach Freeman's doing a better job of that. Agreed. Here's an interesting NFL one here, guys. I think this, Ooh, this is going to be, be for Ryan. Pretty, there we go. pretty, e- well, this is kind of for all of us. This oh, is okay. a pretty, pretty easy answer though, I think. No. Okay. All right. From Jordan, you're a GM in the nineties for an NFL team. Would you rather have rocket or Tim Brown as your wide receiver one? And did they play together in 87? So no, a couple things about that rocket and Tim Brown did play together, but it wasn't in college. It was in the NFL. They played Hmm. together from 1993 to 1995 rocket played with the Raiders for those seasons. Hmm. Uh, Now rocket was a true freshman in 1988. Tim Brown's last season was in 1987, so they did not right. play together. I, I, I would imagine that Rocket probably met Tim Brown on a visit, but they did sure. not play together. Who would I rather have in the NFL? It's easy. It's Tim Brown. Tim Brown was <laughs> one of the favorite. 10 best receivers of, of <laughs> yeah. my generation. Yeah, I mean, he was phenomenal. <laughs> he was phenomenal. And yeah. and I think Tim Brown – the interesting thing is, is who would – I think the bigger question is – the more mm-hmm. interesting question is who would you rather have in college? I think that would be the the more intriguing question, guys, because they were both so dynamic. Obviously, Tim Brown, you know, won the Heisman Trophy, but I would argue that Rocket should have won one as well. I think Rocket completely got screwed out of the Heisman in 1990. I would say if I'm looking for a pure receiver, I'd still take Tim Brown in college. If I'm just yeah. looking for a pure receiver, I think the thing that made Rocket so dynamic, guys, was that he was so good at so many other things games, right man. like yeah he's a difference now, maker in the return game right now so it's tim brown right i mean tim sure. brown i think you know partly won the heisman he had three punt returns for uh touchdowns in his career he's sure. a pretty darn good punt returner as well uh and and uh he had he had three punt returns his heisman trophy year he had three punt returns for touchdowns and then he had three three total punt returns as a kick returner too what really separated him again, where there's a lot of similarities, you know, Tim Brown had more production from a receiving standpoint. Rocket never had more than 502 yards. Tim Brown had 800 and 900. Now again, different. They play with different quarterbacks. Tim Brown played with we Steve Andrzejczyk and I think Steve Berline for a year. Right. I mean, as I love Tony Rice, you know, I mean, Tony Rice is a, a, a was a great leader, great winner. Tony Rice is a little different type of quarterback than Steve Berline was, <laughs> you know, bit who was an NFL quarterback, you know? Right. But, uh, you know, so that, that impacted a little bit too. But the other thing is, is Rocket brought that rushing element to the table that people sure. often overlook. You know, Rocket had 331 yards receiving, 535 and 699. He had five punt returns or five kick returns for touchdowns, one punt return touchdown. So, I mean, they both had six returns for touchdowns. Tim Brown was the more productive wide receiver of 2,400 yards. Also played four years. But Rocket had over a thousand rushing yards during his career at Notre Dame. And that was the difference. In 89 and 90, they and Lou would talk about this all the time, talk about Lou Lou, Lou Samoji stories. He would say they would they'd come hammer you in the first three quarters with like Anthony Johnson and Rodney Culver and all those guys. And then they'd put the rock when you're tired and worn down, they'd put Rocket in at tailback in the fourth quarter and start handing him the ball off. And you're just like, now his four-two looks like a four-flat when your legs are heavy and you've been trying to play bully ball all game. And, uh, you know, so he just was so unique. But here's the reality, guys. Who would you rather have a receiver? Uh, yes. I, I don't care. Give me the one on. They're phenomenal players. But if I am looking for a pure receiver, a pure yeah. lineup and play receiver, it's Tim Brown. If I'm looking for a slot guy, you know, in today's offense, a guy that's going to do a lot of different things, it's Rocket. And so it just depends on what you're looking for. But you're, you're they're they're both five stars, right? I mean, if for, for mm. people that like stars, they're both five star yeah, college players. Like stars. Stars. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. It's a good cool, fun question. Very fun question. Let's get down here from to Tavis McCabe's. 
Nice. Thoughts on the jersey combo against Navy. White jersey, green pants, orange accents playing into the Irish flag, similar to the cleats Notre Dame wore last time they were in Ireland. If no, what would you suggest? I don't mind doing a little bit of the playing no. to the Irish flag. I, I think there's some... But for me, it would be more of my uniform would look more like the Las Vegas uniforms last year, the white on white with some orange maybe mixed in somewhere like on the like a stripe on the pant, like the outline of a stripe on a pant, not even like full. But like if you were to have like a green and, and, and gold stripe down the side, like have a little orange right down the middle or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I would do something minor. I wouldn't I wouldn't have too much of the orange playing, but I would do something to give a little nod to Ireland. I, I, I would. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I'm also okay with it because this is a very unique game, right? I mean, you're it's not every year you play in Dublin, Ireland. So it's, um, I mean, there's always little tweaks, I think, to have that you would make. But I mean, for the most part, I think I'm on the similar wavelength with Brian of like, I have no problem with the, color combinations and given the given the nod to Ireland because again this is a very unique circumstance this doesn't right. happen every year and so you are totally the fighting it. Irish you are I mean you know what I mean so it's like yeah you you can play into that a little bit more uh than I think maybe maybe we've seen them do in the past so good good question good question uh let's see here uh this is for me, Vince. I'm going to read that one. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. For Brian from Jordan, why did you dislike those Super Bowl Buffalo Bills teams? What other teams in the 80s and 90s did you really dislike? Uh, I disliked them because they beat the Broncos and kept away from the Super Bowl. And I was bitter about it because I, I, th- I thought the Broncos should have won that game. You know, they were trailing by a field goal and then. Elway gets hurt and Gary Kubiak comes in and they couldn't do anything, but uh, there just was something about, I just, I'll be honest with you. And, and, and this is, you know, guys, I was 13 years old. There was just something about Jim Kelly. I didn't like, and I don't know what it was. There was just something about him. I mean, I liked Bruce Smith. I mean, he went to the same high school that my dad went to, not at the same time, but like, you know, my dad went to Booker T Washington high school as at times in his career for said bus. I can't remember if they bust him to Lake Taylor or if they bust him to Booker T. Washington. My dad was alive when they started doing that, like the busing stuff, you know, back then. And uh, I can't remember which direction I went, but he went to Booker T for a minute. So, you know, obviously Bruce Smith went to Booker T. He's a Virginia guy. I, I liked Cornelius Bennett as a player. I, you know, I, I, I had no issues with – I thought Andre Reed was a good player. I, Marv Levy was a seemed like a decent guy. There's just something about Jim Kelly I didn't like. And that's really what it boiled down to. I don't know what it was. I really couldn't explain to you now. I, I just there's just something about him I didn't like. And maybe it's because some people thought he was better than Elway, and I got my feelings about that. I really don't know. It's been a long time. It's been 30 years, but I, just something about him that I didn't like, to be honest with you. And, and who else did I not like? I mean, I did, I've never liked the Raiders. I just because you know I'm a Broncos fan. I never liked the Browns growing up. Browns fans. I lived grew up in Ohio. Brown fans are awful, just awful. The dog and, don't, don't mess with the dog yeah, fans like that, man. Yeah, because all those same people that are Ohio State fans are also Cleveland Brown fans. And so every year when the Bron- they're going to play in the AFC Championship, just just all this noise, all this, nah, 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 nah. and of course the Broncos beat them every single time. And then they'd be worse when they lost. They just Because then they get mean and mad about it. Like, I'm the reason that the Browns lost, you know? So I just – I hated the Browns, man. Those are the teams I probably and I'd say I, I I didn't say I hate the Cowboys, but I dislike the Cowboys because my parents disliked the Cowboys because they were Redskins fans. So that's that's Makes that's sense. really about it. Like I never hated the Chiefs, I never hated the Chargers, I never hated the Seahawks. Those were the other division rivals that the Broncos had. I just I hated the Raiders. They just they were like the NFL version of the U for me. You know, yeah. just when you think about the personalities and the characters and all the issues and the craziness, it's like they were the call NFL version of the U for me. Mm-hmm. And if you think about us, there's the overlap. I mean, that was going on oh, at the same time. Absolute I mean, overlap. When, when Notre Dame was winning that championship and had those great years of little holds, the Broncos were going to Super Bowls and, you know, and those type of things too. So yeah, there's, there's some overlap there. Football was good for me in the late eighties and early nineties. <laughs> it really was. It'd be nice to it get was. back to that. It really would. It really would. 
So yeah, that's. Do you guys have any teams that you really disliked growing up, or that you dislike now? And if like that for whatever reason, that oh, the Cowboys the all the way because I I was always a Bears fan, but you know they weren't very good in the '90s. So you know, let's be honest. I I like the 49ers because of John uh, Joe Montana, and then I I like Steve Young. Like I liked the 49ers back in the '90s, and who was their biggest rival? The Cowboys, and I hated Miami. And for a very similar reason, I hated the Cowboys. They're just the, the 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 talking and the you know Michael Irvin and all of his off the field issues. They'll just call them issues. Uh, I didn't dig that just, in any way. You just like to go to the club, man. Yeah, okay. Live, yeah, you like being <laughs> at the club, all right. The club. Uh, so I just I did not like him at all, and I didn't yeah. like the Cowboys. So. I was a 49ers fan in the 90s for sure. Yeah. I was an Eagles hater. I grew up right outside of Philadelphia and I'm not an Eagles fan and Eagles fans are a little bit intolerable at times. So, so pretty it. pretty much the same reason I hate the Browns. It's not so yeah. much that you dislike the organization, you just hate the fans. Yeah. Yeah. I actually respect the organization. I think they're a very well-run organization for the most part, but yeah, their fans yeah. are uh not great, not great. Yeah. A little delusional sometimes as well, but Yeah. yeah. A little delusional. <laughs> no doubt. From Bayside Tiger 6, thank you for the super chat. Bob Davey had a lot of NFL players and assistants who went on to big things like uh, Urban Meyer, uh, Marathi, Madison, and a few. Yep. Where do you think he failed most as a coach? Well, I mean, geez, there's a lot of ways. Number one, he refused to hire offensive coordinators and then let them run their offense. He was always micromanaging. I don't think he was a great recruiter. I've heard a lot of things about how he treated – there was a difference between how he treated certain players. Certain players got treated one way, other players got treated another way, and that's a horrible thing to do as a coach. I mean, you're gonna that's how you lose a locker room really fast. Um, you know, I've been told he was very stubborn, didn't really take advice like he should have taken advice, and I, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I just don't think he was a head coach. I mean, look, not everybody's a decent coordinator is a head coach. Absolutely. And I also think, too, is he – he was always going to have a hard time winning over the fan base because of the perceived manner in which he stabbed Lou Holtz in the back to get the job. And, and, uh, and not, and, and as you get older, you find out it wasn't just perceived. He did, you know, and uh, you're going to, you're going to have a hard time winning people over when that's the case, you know, and uh, but I just don't think he was a very good coach, head coach, to be honest with you. I just don't think he had the temperament for it. I don't think he had the consistency for it. I don't think he understood how to manage a roster. I'll tell you what he did, though. His teams always played hard, and they were always pretty good on special teams. But he just – there was nothing dynamic about him. And to win at Notre Dame, you've got to have something dynamic about you. And if if you look at all the seasons they've had success, almost every one, there was something dynamic about that coach, whether it was Lou Holtz's personality, Charlie Weiss's offense, you know, the first couple of years. Uh, Brian Kelly had a very dynamic personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he knew how to be a coach. He knew how to do certain things to to help build a program up. Marcus Freeman has a, a, a very dynamic personality. Now, will that be enough to win? No, it's not enough to win, but it has to be an ingredient to success. And, and Bob Davey did not have that at all. Neither did Ty Willingham. But at least Davey worked. I never heard anything about how he didn't work. Uh, Ty didn't work. That was the biggest problem with Ty. He just didn't work. He just would rather be golfing. So, yeah. You remember, remember when Bob Davey was coaching New Mexico? That was a weird time. Very yeah. Strange. You want to know something time. weird? So <laughs> I uh, had a Notre Dame game pop up on my YouTube feed the other night. So I was like, oh, I remember that game. This is the 2008 Notre Dame-Washington game. And I'm watching it because I, rem- I remembered it was Charlie versus Ty. Do you know who was doing color for that game? It was Bob Davey. So I'm watching <laughs> Ty and Charlie go to battle with Bob Davey doing color for the game. And I'm thinking, talk about just the ultimate, you know, trio of losers at Notre Dame, not, not losers as human beings, but losers as football coaches. Right. Cause I, I think Ty Willingham as a human being is a very, very decent human being. I've never heard anyone say that he's not a decent human being cared about kids and all that stuff. He just wasn't a very good coach. You know, Charlie Weiss has that very gruff personality, but you know why his players loved him because he was genuine. I mean, he, 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 they, they cared about him and, and, you know, the things that Charlie did for special needs kids in this community still to this day, I believe there's things that Charlie does for special needs community. around Oh, the yeah. Area. 
Mm-hmm. So as people like, you know, they have their flaws, uh, every, like we all do. But what I mean that is, is it's as coaches, they just all were all failures as coaches. Um, and it was just really weird watching that with Ty and Charlie on opposite sidelines. And then Bob Davey doing color was just really wild. Like, could you imagine doing a game in a couple of years and Brian Kelly's retired and he's doing color for a Notre oh, Dame game? That'd be so freaking weird. I don't know that that would end well. So weird. I, I forget. I've got that Ty Willingham was coaching Washington. That wasn't the best era of Washington football. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Well, you know, there was a lot of people talking about how, um, you know, how unfair it was that he got fired and look how good, look how good of a job he did at Stanford, which I've always felt his Stanford career was incredibly overrated. Uh, But then he went to Washington and just sucked. And you stopped hearing people (laughs) talk about that because you're like, "Mm, okay, he's just not a very good coach. And, And he wasn't. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.